Welcome. Thanks for joining us uh, this week at Grace. And thanks for taking the time to be here and to dial in. And uh, I hope that you guys are doing well. I hope you're enjoying the fall and enjoying some of the, the beautiful scenery. It's some of the highlights of Ohio, right? So hopefully you're getting to soak that in a little bit. Hey, I want to talk to you guys for a second before I get into our conversation this weekend about volunteering. Something exciting is happening here at Grace, and uh, we hope that it will continue to happen gradually uh, more and more. As we've kind of gotten into the rhythm of how to navigate uh, COVID-19 and how that affects the ministries here at Grace Church, uh, as we've put in those safety protocols and kind of got the distancing down and found our, our groove a little bit, What's been happening is more and more folks are coming back in for live services and live ministries. And so I want to invite you to do that if you're ready to do that. If not, we will, of course, continue to do things online like we've been doing. But as folks have been coming back in, uh, our need for volunteers has increased exponentially. And so we need folks to start volunteering and to being involved here at Grace uh, again. Maybe the way that you used to be uh, before COVID hit, or maybe in a way that you never have before. So even what we're doing right now, uh, as, we, as we are broadcasting uh, this weekend's message, uh, there are volunteers. There are volunteers running cameras, volunteers mixing sound, volunteers running switchers, doing PowerPoint, all those kind of things. And it takes volunteers to make something like this happen, as well as our children's ministries, our bands, our youth ministries, our first impressions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you've been kind of waiting to see if, if it's the coast is clear or waiting to see if there's a tipping point where it's time for you to jump back in, I want you to know that I think we're at that tipping point and that we could really use your help in the functioning of our weekend services as well as other ministries at Grace. So. This is what I'd like you to do. Uh, get, get this written down or even just grab your phone, whether you're watching me right now on your phone or doing it uh, on a other screen. Grab your phone real quick and, and text serve at grace, serve at grace to 75787. Uh, serve at grace at 75787. And let us know that you can volunteer or even know that they're, what the volunteer opportunities are, are that you can be involved with. And we'll connect with you that way. So serve at Grace 75787. And uh, we would love for you and we need you to be a part of it. I'm so proud of the way that we have weathered all of this. And it, some of it's before us still. We'll get through it. Uh, I'm confident of that. But we'll kind of do that in stages. And this is kind of like a next stage that we're entering into. I think it's a good one, a positive one, but we could use your help. So please uh, be available and take advantage of that opportunity. I am super excited to, uh, to jump into our conversation this weekend because we're starting a new series. And it's a series that uh, I am really passionate about and really excited to teach through. I've been looking forward to this for, for a couple of months. And we're going we're gonna to launch this series talking about the gospel or the story of Jesus or sometimes what we call it here at Grace. We want to know it, live it, uh, give it away. We, we want to 
go through the, what that it is, what the story of Jesus is, what the gospel is, and how it's more than we could have imagined and it has deeper life-changing effects on us than we would have maybe thought in the first place. And it's exciting and thrilling what God wants to do uh, in our lives through it. So if you're newer or investigating who Jesus is, I, I think this, this conversation, this series is gonna be really, really helpful for you. I think we're gonna really define and lay out kind of in a way that you can get your head around what the heart and the mind of Jesus is. If you are a person who is maybe a little bit more rooted in the Bible, maybe you grew up in church or something like that, I think that this series is gonna deepen your love and deepen your understanding of Christ. That these are areas of our lives and kind of our belief system uh, that we sometimes take for granted. And over the course of this series, we're gonna learn a prayer that you can pray and interact with God through that I think could be life transformational for you and change your relationship with Jesus and, and change even how you direct and invest your life. I think it's gonna be powerful. And, and even if you're at a place right now in life where you're tense and you're frustrated, like I think this is gonna be refreshing for you. That one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk about this is because this is, that's what happened to me. Uh, as I had gone through the, the summertime, right? So from March until about September was kind of the, the heart of all of the transformational things that were happening in our culture and in our world due to COVID. Uh, I got to the end of that from March 15th until about September 15th. And when I got to the end of that time, I was beyond exhausted, right? I was exhausted emotionally, physically, even spiritually. I, one night I was at home. It was the first time I had spent an evening at home without working at home since March. It was September 15th. And so I had worked every night and usually my days were legitimately 12 to 15 hour days all the way through that. Uh, trying to check on all of you and oversee all of our nine campuses and all of the folks that work for Grace. And I was just spent, right? Just spent. But God sustained me and got me through that, that crisis. But by the end of that, my mind was so cluttered and my heart was cloudy kind of a thing where I was angsty and frustrated and kind of on the edge and just always a little bit grumpy and getting aggravated about things, looking for the cat, you know, kind of a thing. And, and I was just kind of the end of my rope. God allowed me then on September 15th to, to take a vacation, which was such a blessing. And Heidi and I and some friends, we got to get away for a little bit. And on vacation, I read a book about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the gospel is, what it is, and how the gospel affects us and how transformational the gospel was. And I can tell you that I learned some things. I, I mostly was reminded of some very deep truths, but this is what I want you to know. It was so refreshing to my soul to put my heart and mind there, to get above all of the noise that's, that's in our culture right now, to get above kind of all of the frustrations that are tied around us, not just being able to do what we normally would do because of COVID right now. 
And, and to even get above my like physical and emotional exhaustion, to, to concentrate on Jesus and to concentrate on his love for me and, and to, to receive kind of the, the deep life transformation that he wants to give us all through his life and through his word, it, it restored me in a way that is kind of beyond words for me, for me to talk about. I came back from that trip and I told our team, I said, this is what we're teaching on this fall. We, we have to get above this noise. I talk about politics on, on Mixed Messages with Jeff Bogue, the podcast. As much as you ever want to talk about it, listen to that podcast, I'll walk you through it. We got to get above this noise, right? Above the current crisis. And as the people of God who are called to serve, the, to serve Jesus, who he is and what he did for us and how he wants to affect our lives not only causes us to kind of pull out of the noise of our culture, but it causes us to pull above it and look and say, man, no matter, regardless of circumstances, what Christ has called me to, what Christ is doing and wants to do through me is so much greater than all these things that I draw joy from it, hope from it, refreshment, strength, courage, Everything I need is found there in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why I want to take us through it here for the next few, few weeks. And, and I want to walk through this process together. I, I think it's going to do that for you too. There's just something amazing about who Christ is and what he's done. And by setting our hearts and our minds there, it puts all the cultural stuff and, and all the present circumstance stuff in its proper place and allows us to not just be the people God has called us to be, but to receive the depth of what God wants to do in our life in a powerful, powerful way. So I think it's going to be a great journey. What is this? What is the gospel? And then let's talk about, we'll start to talk about this weekend, how this plays out. We're going to talk about the gospel kind of a pure definition this weekend. Next weekend, we're gonna talk about how it's so much different than religion and how we sometimes mess those, kind of mix those things up. And then we're gonna get into what's called the gospel prayer. And I think it's gonna be transformational for you. I know it was for me. What is the gospel? If I was gonna give kind of a working man's definition of the gospel, I would say this. The gospel, the word gospel is just a Greek word and it, were, it means good news or to announce good news. So Jesus's gospel is that it is good news and it's the announcement of good news, what Jesus said, what he did, and even Jesus himself. So when we say like here at Grace, we wanna know the gospel, live the gospel, give the gospel away, it's always good news or announcing this good news of who Christ is and what he did for us. So what is this good news? If I was gonna look at the Bible and, and if I was gonna find like one verse in the Bible that, that summarized the gospel or was at the very, very heart of what the gospel is, I would go here to Romans chapter five, verse eight. Here's the gospel, the good news. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That passage right there summarizes the heart of the gospel. 
God demonstrated his own love for us. The gospel is that God loves us. He's not out to get us. He's not out to zap us. He's not out to trick us. He's not out to control us. He's not out to try to somehow fry us if we messed up. God loves us. How do we know? Because he demonstrated that love for us. How did he demonstrate it? That while we were still sinners, right? While we were still sinners. That's a really, really big statement there. The Bible says that before I accept Christ as my savior, that I'm an enemy of God in my heart. Another place in the Bible would say that I don't know that God exists or I'm ignorant of God. So while I am either like a couple of things, either I just have no clue that there's a God, don't really care, don't really know, doesn't really affect my life. That's kind of a category. And or I do know all those things, but I'm raising my fist to him spiritually. I'm not going to follow you. I don't care about you. I don't want you part of my life. While we were doing that, This God who loves us, while we were doing that, gave his son Christ who died for us. Jesus is called the atoning sacrifice. He paid a a debt he didn't owe because we owe a debt that we cannot pay. So the Bible says that me being an enemy of God or even being indifferent to God, that is sin, sin separates me from God, keeps me from God. God knows that, but he loves us. He wants to be with us. So in between our sin and himself, he gave his son, Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for us. And when I ask the forgiveness of my sin, Jesus's, it's called his righteousness or his payment for sin, covers me. That's why Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And when I have my sins forgiven by Christ and his righteousness covers me, that allows me to be acceptable to God. It's in Christ that I'm acceptable to God. And my sins are forgiven and I have a place created for me or sealed for me in heaven and I receive my salvation. And the good news is that God loves us even though we didn't know about him or didn't love him, Jesus still died for us. That's the heart of the gospel. Now this is what happens a lot of times when when we talk about that. If you grew up in church a little bit or you, you know, went to mass when you were young or, or went to Sunday night services when you were young and those kind of things, and you have a little bit of a kind of a Jesus or a Bible background, or if you've been in church a long, long time, most of the time when people think about the gospel, if you have any familiarity with that word, what they think about is their sins being forgiven and they go to heaven. And that's the depth of what they think about with the gospel. So the gospel is like eternal life insurance kind of a thing. I accept Jesus. I have my sins forgiven. I get on the Jesus team. I'm not a a Buddhist, a Mormon or a Muslim, but I'm a a Christ follower. I'm I'm on the Jesus team. And now I get to go to heaven. And for many, many people, that's where their understanding of the good news stops. 
They would look and say, yeah, got it handled. In fact, the little church I grew up in, they would say, you need to present the gospel. What does that mean? That means I'm a sinner separated from God. Jesus in the middle. I got my salvation there. I proclaim the gospel. What I would like to say to you is that the gospel is way, 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 way richer than just that. In fact, I would almost argue that if the only reason we come to Jesus is for some kind of eternal life insurance, we may not have actually come to him, right? It, it may, it, it, that's not really what he calls us to do. Jesus never asked the question, uh, who doesn't want to go to hell? He never says that. He never, he never stood before a crowd and said, Anybody here not want to go to hell? Okay, just believe in me and you're in. He never asked that question. The question Jesus asked is this, who wants to follow me? Another way to say that is this, who wants to know me, to understand me, to journey through life with me, to, to, to be friends with me, to be family, brothers, sisters with me? Who wants to be fully ingrained in me? He doesn't ask who doesn't want to go to hell because nobody does. He asks, who, who wants to connect with me? And the gospel is tied to that. In fact, one of the passages that we look at a lot here at Grace is this one in Matthew 22. A guy asked, the teacher said that Jesus came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, here it is. And this is like the core of all that Jesus says and teaches and wants. Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus never says, like, the most important thing is that you say, I don't want to go to hell. That's not what he says. He says, the most important thing is who will follow me. I want you to love me with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And when you do that, the second commandment will flow out of you. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does it mean to love Christ? That's a big question and it's tied to the gospel. What does it mean to love Christ and how, how would you even go about doing that? I said it this way. I think we learn to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves because that's the way that relationships work. So I don't have a religion. I didn't join a religion. If I do these things, I don't go to hell. If I do these things, I do go to hell. That's not what he's after. I want you to love me and know me. And the good news is that I love you and want to know you. So how do I learn to love God? What would that even be like? Because in relationships, relationships are formed because we learn to love someone, right? Uh, your, your spouse at some point in your life was a stranger to you, but you met them and you understood them and you saw things in them. You learned about them and you learned to love them. Being a parent's that way. If you're not a parent, then being a parent doesn't make a ton of sense because it's foreign. It's not a part of your life. 
But when you have a child, you, you don't just know what to do. You learn to love your child. You learn to understand them, to know them, to journey with them, to live life with them. You do that in friendships. Your friends at one point in your life are strangers to you. But you meet people, you learn them, and you, your love for them is a learned behavior. I learn that we get along. I learn how to express love back to you. I learn how we can connect with each other. So when Jesus says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's not saying some mystical like Disney, like romance thing. He's saying, let's go on a journey together and let's understand what that is. How do I learn to love, right? I even would ask this question. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? If, if I said to you, hey, the gospel is that God loves you and what he really wants from you is to love him back. What do I mean by that? Most people, when they, when they hear that question, they're gonna think in terms of religion. Uh, what's it mean to love God? I, I guess go to church. Well, how do you love God? I don't know, like quit doing bad stuff and start doing good stuff? Most of us, many of us, would not even know what it means to love God. What's it mean? If I'm learning to love God, am I learning to do certain behaviors so I act differently? Is that what it means to be a friend? Am I learning to like go through a weekly structure? I go to mass, I go to confession, I give some money, I do this. Is that what it means to be a loving parent? I learn about his background and I learn, I know the Bible inside and out. I learn the details of their life and I can quote those details back. Well, is that sound romantic, like a good marriage? So what does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to know him and what does it mean to interact with him? And guys, I would say this is a key question. This is a key question. And it's key to the gospel because when I'm not sure what it means to love God, ready? Then I probably am not sure what it means for God to love me. And if the gospel is not eternal fire insurance, if the gospel is not religion, and we'll push into that deeper next weekend. If, if that's not the gospel, if the gospel is to know God, to love God, that God demonstrated his love for me, what does that mean? What's it mean for me to love him? And what does it mean for him to love me? Now this is important because if I don't understand what it means to love God and for God to love me, then everything I do for God has no value. The apostle Paul says it this way. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says this. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that, that I may boast, 
but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul's like, but if, if I do all of the spiritual things, if I'm like the best church person I can be, but I don't have love for who? For Christ and my neighbor, it's worthless. If, I, if I'm the most generous, I, I, I just, I, I give all of my money away. I'm Bill and Melinda Gates and I set up a foundation and I give billions and billions and billions of dollars, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. If there is not love in the relationship, then the relationship is not valuable. In fact, it would be something that you would dread or it would feel like an obligation, right? I, I was playing around and I, I wrote this. If I described a relationship to you that had no love in it, you tell me how appealing it would be. I'm gonna describe a relationship to you, right? Okay, here it is. One day, somebody invades your home and they come and they move in with you. You might've planned on them moving in with you or a lot of times you didn't plan on them moving in with you, but a human being moves in with you and that human being starts taking your food. In fact, at the beginning when they move in, you have to buy really expensive, really specialized food for them. They take your money. They cost a fortune. In fact, over the time that they live with you, it's gonna cost you about a half a million dollars just to kind of keep them alive and functional as a human being. They're gonna disturb your rest. They're, they're invited or not invited, but they're in your house. You're, you're gonna have your sleep disturbed just about every night for the next 18 to 20 years or so. Their schedule is gonna dictate your schedule. You're not gonna have any freedom anymore. You're gonna go to recitals that you're not interested in. You're gonna go to sporting events and sit out in the cold and it's only you and other people whose homes were invaded watching the sport. But you're gonna do it because you don't really have much of a, of a choice in it. They're gonna steal your wife's body. Her body that was kind of once yours and all yours is now gonna be mostly theirs, right? And they're gonna steal your husband's affections. Remember how you used to be the apple of your husband's eyes? This person's gonna be, especially if it's a girl that invades your home. She's gonna have your husband wrapped around her finger. They're rarely gonna be grateful. In fact, they're gonna be kind of demanding. They're just gonna want more and more stuff. Then what's gonna happen at the end of those 20 years? They're gonna leave your home, they're gonna attach themselves to somebody else, and that other person is gonna be the person that they're most loyal to, and that they think hung the moon. And they're just gonna be the greatest person ever. And if everything goes pretty well, about five to 10 years after they move out of your house, they will start to appreciate you for what you did, but they will never pay you back fully. If I describe that relationship without love, that is a horrible relationship, right? You, nobody would wanna intervene or be a part of that relationship. It, it's, I gain nothing. It means nothing for me to go through that relationship, right? But if I infuse love, if I infuse love, now we just, we just had a baby. 
and we're raising our daughter or our son and we're blown away by them. If I infuse love, that relationship, which is so lopsided and so unfair, that relationship becomes, ready? Transformational, deeply meaningful, life altering. And the obligations within it become points of joy and eagerness for me to invest into. Now you can pull out parenting and put in friendship and write a list just like that. Pull out friendship and put in marriage. You can write a list just like that. If it's devoid of love, then it's a taxing thing. But if it's infused with love, then it's the best parts of our lives. This is what happens in our relationship with God. Many of us, when we think about God, do not have a loving relationship with him. When we hear that God loves us, we don't quite grasp that or believe it. And so because we don't know what that means, what's it, what's it mean to be loved by God? What's it mean to love him? What does that look like? How does that play out? How can it work? Because we don't have our, our heads and our hearts around those definitions and those understandings, when I say things like Christ is the most important thing in our life, I, I love him, I'm passionate for him, I can't wait to serve him, I love it when he lets me be generous for him. That all sounds foreign. Because what we hear is, I gotta quit doing this stuff, I gotta start doing this stuff, I better not skip church and I gotta tithe. See? And I would argue that's because the gospel was never truly presented. How to stay out of hell was kind of presented, sort of. But that's not what the gospel is. It's part of the gospel. It's like a ramification of the gospel. But the story of Jesus is not how to get out of hell and to clean your act up. The story of Jesus is a loving God that has pursued humanity from the beginning in order to create a way to have a relationship with us. And that God who loves us so passionately and completely, what's he want from us? Well, he wants us to love him in the same way, to love him back. Now I know on the surface that sounds weird, that God wants me to love him. It sounds weird, in fact, it even sounds a little bit feminine to a lot of men, that's the way we would hear that. But it's not weird at all. It just means passionate. How, think about the things you're passionate about. When you're passionate about like Ohio State football, right? How did that happen? Well, you heard about it. You somehow connected to it. It triggers something in your heart. And then you learned, you learn about the things that you're passionate about so much so that you get it down. And the more you learn it, the more it excites you to the point in which you would say, I love Ohio State football. How, how did you become passionate about your husband or your wife, or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, right? Well, you heard about them, 
you met them, like somewhere something clicked, some good news was announced to you. And then you learned. And as you learned, it intrigued you and you went deeper and deeper and you learned all these neat things and it excited you and it connected you to the point where you would say, I love that person. I love Heidi. How do you do that in friendship? Well, somewhere, like good news, hey, there's this guy, he likes that thing too. And you connect and you learn. And it's like, I know that guy. And, and that guy, oh, we have a lot of the same interests and we get along really well. And I never laugh harder with anybody than I laugh with that person. And our families are friends. And I learn and I learn and I learn to the point where I would even look and say to about another guy, I love that guy. I love him. He's like a brother to me. I, I'd lay my life down for him, for her. See how it works? It's not weird. It's pursued. It's chased. It's learned. And the gospel is that when I get an interest in God and learn and pursue and go after him, that God, my God, has that, that interest in me. He wants to know me. He wants to journey with me. He wants to travel through life with me. That's why the gospel is life-changing. It alters everything. It's not just a way to kind of stay out of hell. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is building a life with God. This is the way that Jesus said it in John chapter 15. And we're going to talk about this a bunch over the next few weeks. Jesus says it this way. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This word remain in me, that phrase in the original language, all it means is this. It means to make your home, make your home in me. How is it that I receive the child that's invaded my home and I love them? Well, my home quits being my home and it becomes our home. I make my home, my heart's home in that relationship. When when a man and a woman marry and they fall in love and they marry, what do they do? They create a home. They remain in each other. They're connected. Heidi's a part of me. I'm a part of her. You can't separate us. And we create a home. Friends create homes, right? My, my closest friends, they're a part of my life. You yank them out of my life, you're yanking them right out of my heart because I learned them and I love them and we built a life together. The gospel is not be on the Jesus team and you won't go to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is there's a God who loves you. And what he wants more than anything is for you to love him, to learn him, to know him, to be intrigued by him. And because he loves you, when you love him, you build a life. A life in which he is a part of every nook and cranny. Uh, A life of which he is the center of all considerations. A life in which he blesses you 
and strengthens you and helps you and walks with you and won't leave or forsake you. You remain together. You build a home together. And the gospel is kind of the story or the wonder of that home. Just like I would say, the best decision I ever made in my life was to build my life with Heidi, to remain with Heidi. Just like I would say that the, my, the most favorite thing, the thing I love the most in my life is being a dad. I love being a dad. I remain with my kids. I love my kids. They fascinate me. Just like I would look and say, those folks, are there. that's my closest friends right there. They remain in me. Even here as a church, I would say, yeah, I love you as a church. I love you. We build a life together. We've decided to remain together, to build a home together called Grace Church. In Christ... In Christ, I would look and say, I, lo- I love Christ. He fascinates me. He blows me away. He's the most faithful friend I could possibly have. And we build a life together. I want to remain in Christ. And he remains with me. He's building a life with me. And we're going through life together. Not out of obligation or duty or fear of hell but out of love, a friendship, a brotherhood, a family. See, out of love, realizing and believing that he loved me first and in doing so created a way that I could return my love to him. I'm excited, you probably tell. <laughs> I'm excited to have this conversation, guys. And it's gonna be, a conversation about relationship. It's going to be a conversation that doesn't always have kind of, kind of concrete endings where we're going to wrap up our time and I'm going to say, okay, now go do these three things. That, that's not the way relationships work. But it's going to be a conversation where we're trying to describe the difference and what Jesus actually wants from us. And then we're going to start praying for that difference in very, very personal ways. And I think you may be blown away. Being a dad transformed me. Being a husband transformed me. Being a pastor transformed me. Being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not in my head. It's not an empty emotion. It's transformative to every part of who we are. And I can't wait to take this journey with you. Would you pray with me? Love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us first. And Jesus, I believe your word teaches clearly that what we're talking about, we can only grasp if you help us. It's not an academic exercise. I can't make two plus two equal four here. And so I'm gonna ask Jesus that through the help of your Holy Spirit, you bring understanding and clarity and depth into our relationship with you, maybe for the first time and maybe in ways that we've never experienced before, but that you do this spiritual work in our hearts and in our minds to understand the fullness of the gospel. Looking forward to this, Jesus, 
I want so badly for all of us to get a hold of who you are and what you're like. So we ask for your help in it. Guide us every step of the way. In your name we pray, amen.